Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Let's get it in the bullpen today. We got Brad Palumbo, fee.org correspondent, National Review contributor. Brad, good day, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. And I just have to say, I love your wish a Karen Wood segment. Left and right, <laughs> we should all agree that Karens are out of control. Damn it, I'm glad we could start on that note, brother. I appreciate you saying that. Yes, Karens are dangerous for all of us out here. All right. Um, we are going to chop it up about um, social policy or socialism, <clears throat> the Biden um, as it has been termed vaccine mandate uh, and maybe a couple of other things as it relates to unemployment benefits from the federal government. So let's start with um, the so-called vaccine mandate from the Biden executive order. We'll, we'll start with the one everybody talks about and that's the private sector one that impacts those that have 100 employees or more. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about that particular subject. So I will give you an opportunity to express your sentiment and I will respond. Yeah, I think the Biden vaccine order pushing companies to require it or require weekly testing. I think it's just unjustified because there is no externality anymore. Anybody who wants to take the vaccine can. I am not at all anti-vax, I'm pro-vax. I got the Pfizer vaccine as soon as I could, but importantly, it protects you from hospitalization or death, 99.9 plus percent accuracy, very effective vaccine. So President Biden said that we need this mandate to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. He said that in his speech, but that doesn't make any sense because the vaccine protects the unvaccinated. I also, I think the mandate is an infringement on people's bodily autonomy. And I think it's not justified because there's no externality. I also think it could backfire and it could lead more people to really dig in and become more vaccine resistant. All right, so I understand your point of view. And I had to do some research on this as well, because I, I, I would say, listen, the vaccine is for you, the mask is for me, okay? But here's what I've learned in the field of study, which science is a field of study, and you take the majority of the studies and you put them together, and you say, okay, here's the consensus of scientists. The consensus is that you have to get the population to a certain threshold vaccination rate in order to stop massive mutation of the virus and this virus becoming more endemic than pandemic. And in order to do that, you have to get a level of buy-in or a threshold percentage of the demographic. And we're getting close, we're, one poll showed that we're at over 70% of individuals that have either gotten the you know, one vaccination of both, okay? So you're getting to that number. But that's the reason, that's the why. He did a horrible job explaining that. And also, the issue of this being a mandate is not a mandate. There is no COVID-19 vaccine mandate under this particular executive order. It is a COVID-19 vaccine protocol, not a mandate. Literally, the protocol says either A, you can get the vaccine, or B, you cannot get the vaccine and simply be tested. And it only applies to employers that have 100 employees or more. And it provides provision in the executive order that says companies have to pay you if you're willing to get the vaccine. They must pay for your time that it took for you to get it. And if you have 
a, an adverse reaction to the vaccine, they must pay for your time away from work because uh, like all vaccines, some people will have an adverse reaction uh, because they may be allergic to something inside of the vaccine. This is something that we know is commonplace with all vaccinations mm-hmm. in America and beyond. Uh, but my issue, not really issue, my question to you is, do you believe that the COVID-19 protocol is an intrusion on a liberty of an individual or a business? And, and I think the root of my question really is, do you find it unconstitutional? Well, I won't wade into legal matters because I'm not a lawyer. I'll just tell you what my view of the policy is. And a couple things I, I wanna respond to that you just you just mentioned. First and foremost is that it is it is a narrow order in some sense, but it still applies to upwards of 80 million Americans that work for companies that apply to it. So it's still a big deal, even if you're right that it only applies to companies with over 100 employees. The other thing is that weekly testing is an option. That is factually true, absolutely. But that's actually really expensive for a company to test thousands of employees every single week when tests cost hundreds of dollars. And it's a pretty cumbersome process. So you are definitely giving them some alternative to the vaccine mandate, but it's not a very appealing one and it's very expensive. So. I think a lot of businesses are going to tell their employees, you must get vaccinated or you're fired because of this government order. And that's a very problematic position in in my view, because I do think it's a question of their bodily autonomy and their individual freedom. I mean, you're talking about forced injections, injecting people against their will. I think we should try to convince people, not coerce them. And just one other point about the variants that you mentioned. I, I agree with you that COVID variants are a problem, of course, but I don't think a few million people on that will be affected by a mandate here or there in the US will make a difference because whether we like it or not, it's really sad and tragic. But there are going to be billions of unvaccinated people across the world who are going to stay unvaccinated for years to come. And the Delta variant came from India, where there's gonna be hundreds of millions of people spreading COVID around and variants are going to occur outside of our borders and they're going to come here. It's impossible to stop basically. So I don't think a couple million people forcibly vaccinated here in the US is going to make any difference about variants. All right, so let's let's talk about your numbers first. You went from 80 million to a couple of million. You say that right. A couple will be forced. A lot of people okay. have already taken it. No, no, remember this, this impacts um, uh, the workforce in a significant way, right? So you, you're coming up with a number, you say, okay, maybe a couple of million it, it is, is the, the threshold. Um, that number may be higher based on whoever you listen to, right? Whatever scientist says, this is your threshold for this particular virus. The issue is, if you believe it is a violation of civil liberty, if it is too intrusive, then I go back to a fundamental argument because I assume, were you born in the United States? Yeah. Did you go to school here? Yes. So you have vaccinations that were mandated by law inside of your body right now? Most, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, everybody does. 100% of K through 12 education, they have required a vaccination regimen in order to attend public schools. 92% of private institutions require the very same thing. Some states have a couple of more, some states have a couple of less. I think the lowest state probably has six required vaccinations. The highest is about eight or nine, okay? But the bottom line is these states have been able to enforce these mandates for decades for the safety, not only of the child with the vaccine, but also those around them. So if we're saying that somehow a forced vaccination, and you can definitely make the argument 
that a K through 12 vaccine mandate is more of a forced vaccination than what the executive order does because it doesn't force anyone to get vaccinated. It says you have an option. I think you have to go back if that is your intellectual argument that vaccinations are too intrusive for the government to mandate, then you have to start some decades before today and make that argument about what has been longstanding, not only scientific practice, but what we call policy practice in the United States of America. The other point I will make is that I believe, and I've already sent this up the chain of command at the White House, okay? I do believe they need to make two caveats here. One, they need to make an exception for those who already have the antibodies. Okay, because that's actually the ultimate goal. If you had COVID, you survived and you have the antibodies, there should be a protocol for that. I believe that, I think they need to add that to the uh, to the protocol. Second, and this is a point you brought up, if the burden is upon the companies, because I know some companies, they got over 100 workers, they go up and down. They're not super, super wealthy. Uh, and when you're talking about a lot of people who would rather get a test every single week, uh, and if you do it at your job, uh, then that may be an additional cost, even if it's manpower cost. So if there's real cost involved, uh, then there should be a subsidy reimbursement. However, the vast majority of places that do the testing, brother, they do it for free. And employees are able to obtain that test at no cost whatsoever every time they choose to take it. Uh, so you already have free options that are available, uh, but if there's a cost, of the company, I do believe there should be a subsidy reimbursement. So, so that's my pushback on some of those items. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's it's cumbersome for businesses to weekly test thousands of employees, and they they're probably just going to say to a lot a lot of these companies are going to say get vaccinated or get out. And so you're right that people don't have to get vaccinated, but if the choice is losing your livelihood, that is a pretty significant coercion still, I think. And it's supposed to be, you know, and I want to say this, man, that's by design, right? It is designed to be a significant push in order to get people vaccinated. I don't think they're hiding from that. Why do we have to force? Why can't we convince them? Okay. Now, I think. I think that's a good point that you you want to convince people just to do the right thing. But I want to also bring you to reality. Go to a, a school board in Florida, Texas, okay? You can't convince parents to allow their children to wear a face mask to school. Uh, they rather throw hands than throw on a mask, right? That's the level of immaturity and politicization you're dealing with as it relates to COVID-19. I know you and I agree that mask worn properly will decrease the spread of COVID. There's no debate with you on that, is it? No, not really. But okay. what I would say though is that if these people ultimately are risking themselves, not others. If you're stubbornly refusing to take the vaccine, well, everyone around you, all of your neighbors yep. have had the chance to take it if they want to take it for free. And it is highly, highly effective at preventing serious illness and death. So it's inconsistent logic to say that we need to force people to take the vaccine or push well, them, push them. Because that's based on an assumption you're making. The assumption that you're making is that you will not get to herd immunity status. And and it is an assumption. You're saying, listen, I, 
I just don't believe the two million or three million would do it. There are medical doctors and medical scientists and research scientists and infectious disease experts who believe that it will actually get you closer to herd immunity. So you can't just make the argument without consideration of the science or the scientist who are making the opposite argument than your conclusion. Um, let me go but to the, the mandate doesn't like you said the mandate doesn't acknowledge natural immunity and if you want to have well, a conversation should. about herd immunity you've got to factor that in. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it, it should factor in um, antibodies that you already have. Correct, I agree. Now, here's the other part of it. It's a constitutional argument because a lot of people and I've seen headlines from CNN, Fox News and everywhere else uh, that there are experts, legal experts and medical experts. Um, saying that it's unconstitutional, some say it is constitutional. Let me explain that because I, I think it's a fascinating argument. Um, OSHA is the regulatory agency that will implement uh, basically the oversight of this, right? First of all, uh, OSHA can't get to those um, thrown away tires at the back of a company, all right? So, so OSHA doesn't have the manpower is my point. They don't have some massive manpower force. So what OSHA will likely do brother is they will spot check places that have an increased COVID-19 reporting um, matrix. And they'll go and make sure they start enforcing whatever the mandate is. That, that's kind of how OSHA works anyway. Uh, but it is constitutional. And here's how it's constitutional. You have something called the Commerce Clause. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the US Constitution grants Congress the power to create regulatory agencies to oversee or enforce rules or what's called administrative law as it relates to interstate commerce. OSHA was created as an act in 1970 based or with the authority of that particular clause in the US Constitution. So it is really by existence a constitutional expression. The only time people had issues with OSHA being really a constitutional expression of a congressional power is when we started talking about COVID. Now, and also I think it's important to highlight that this OSHA oversight is temporary, it's called an ETS, okay? It is a temporary oversight procedure that can only last 100 days. It cannot exist outside of that 100 days without going through the proper bureaucratic process (coughs) which allows for public comment and everything else. But the ETS can be in place for 100 days if there's a substance, if there's a hazard that can impact workers on the job. That is your prerequisite for the ETS. Everything is within statutory requirement and everything is within the Constitution, the framework of the Constitution. So when people try to make an argument that what Joe Biden is doing is somehow antithetical to the Constitution. It doesn't add up with law or the Constitution, what they're so saying. So look, I, I'm not a constitutional scholar. There are a lot of conservative scholars of high esteem who would disagree with you on this. It's complicated, it's they not my expertise. Me. But a couple points I would make is that you're, so obviously under past precedent, things like this have been upheld, yes. OSHA has been upheld. But a lot of people would say those precedents are wrong. And one thing you said that I don't think is true is that people are only talking about OSHA being unconstitutional overreach now. Well, libertarian and conservative legal scholars have been talking about it for a long time. Because the concerning thing is you're talking about Congress, you're talking about the Commerce Clause. But this isn't Congress, this is an agency that has this power delegated to them that nobody elected OSHA bureaucrats. They're they're making laws unilaterally outside of the democratic process. Congress, if they want a mandate, should have to do it themselves. Let and me actually explain. do their job in the Constitution. 
All right, let me explain where you're wrong at, Brandon. I, I do encourage you to do the research. Um, Article one, section eight, clause three grants Congress this amazing power to create regulatory agencies that can oversee or provide oversight for interstate commerce. 1970, Congress decided to create OSHA in order to do just that. OSHA by statute, which its power is derived from the Constitution. They are able to create administrative law and workplace policy without creating new statutes that must be passed by Congress. Because Congress already enacted that act in 1970, which allows OSHA to operate under the authority of the Constitution. As Government bureaucrats shouldn't be able to wield enormous powers without democratic accountability. Well, remember, the ETS only can last for 100 days because of that very point you made. After 100 days, it does have to go through a public process in order to become a permanent administrative law or workplace policy. Brother, as always, man, it's enjoyable to have you on the show. My producers are telling me I'm out of time. Brother, thank you for coming back to the bullpen. Always a free, open and transparent debate. I appreciate it, have a good one. You too.